The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode are that of the guest and host and do not necessarily reflect the values of sponsors or other associated organizations. Welcome to the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I am your host, Bobby Williams. Please subscribe to the show and leave us a review. We appreciate your reviews. We want them. Today, we are talking about eating disorders, the root causes, what to be looking for, and steps towards recovery. Our guests have a multi-generational perspective, Elena Burke, who is 19 years old, and Melissa Kelly, who is 54 years old. Both of them struggled with eating disorders growing up and combined forces to create an incredible book called Full, Overcoming Our Eating Disorders to Fully Live. You can learn more about them and their book at their website, blackumbrellawellness.com. This was a fascinating and important conversation. Check it out. But one of the things that we really like to um, underscore through this book is that it's really not about the food and it's really not about weight and it's not about the way your body looks or how big or small you are. It's these underlying issues that we all deal with and that are um, especially relevant to adult development that that really kind of feed the eating disorder. They, they feed this fear and your way of managing those issues is through the eating disorder. So that's basically our perspective on this and the way that we, um, you know, share that through our book. Uh, what, what do you think are the causes of this? Like, it sounds like it's a mental health challenge. Is it something that's genetic? Is it something that society just pushes on us? Is it a combo of both? Like, what do you think are the reasons behind eating disorders? Yeah, like like Melissa said, there it's different for everybody. It's so individual. Um, for me, I dealt with anxiety and depression before I developed an eating disorder. So my eating disorder was, I guess you could say, caused. Cause is a really difficult word to use here, but um, in my case, it stemmed from anxiety and depression. Um, and in our book, we talk about the underlying issues, and we don't call them causes um, because it's different for everybody and there was no one singular cause of either of our eating disorders uh, but we discussed things like trauma uh, perfectionism control uh, glamorizing being sick and we go through t 12 different topics that fed our eating disorders fear of growing up is a big one and as you see that both elena and i while we started having these um, issues with um body image early in life, um, it, we did not, man, our, our eating disorders didn't manifest until we were 16, which is right around the time for young girls that you're starting to, you're getting close to kind of crossing over into young adulthood. Um, and so that was, that one is, is kind of a big one. And, and as far as like, you know, from a medical perspective, there's still not an answer as to what 
exactly causes this. So there's not, you know, there's a lot of research and, and they've been looking at this for a very long time and there's not anything at this point that indicates that it's genetic. Um, what I will say is that diet culture um, really plays a big role in this. And so I think one of the things that's unique about this book is that we have this multi-generational perspective. I grew up in the 19, late 70s, early, in, it, it, 70s and 80s, basically. And um, during that time, the, uh, the home fitness revolution began. Jane Fonda's, you know, home video exercises, um, diet pills and diet product commercials were ubiquitous, just like pharmaceutical commercials are today. So it was a huge, you know, and then of course there's the, the magazines and the, the way women are depicted in advertising and all of that. Now, Elena is, you know, born in the two thousands, things are different, um, but they're, they're not necessarily better. They're just different. You know, now you add a layer of social media to that and those, in those images and that those messages that your body has to be a certain way and that you need to be perfect in all the ways. Um, all, all of those messages can come to you in an instant. Well, perfectionism is a huge challenge and something there's all this societal pressure to be perfect. And then I even feel it inside of like being very critical of myself and then sometimes critical of other people. How can we change that towards becoming accepting? That seems like a, a real challenge. Mm -hmm. That's probably the biggest hurdle, I would say. Um... I, that reminded me of something my dad used to tell me when I was, um, you know, at my sickest in my eating disorder. Uh, he didn't really understand uh, my mind and why I was, quote, doing this to myself. And he would say, Elena, you know, take this perfectionism that you put on yourself, all these pressures that you put on yourself and turn it into focusing on recovery. And at the time I was like, dad, it's not that easy. And it's really not. Um, but that definitely clicked in my brain. You know, I, what was really helpful for me to make that switch was to educate myself on what I was actually doing to my body, like, um, the physiological things that I was putting myself through, uh, the signs of starvation that I started to notice, my hair was starting to fall out. Um, my I started getting more cavities in my teeth. And at that point, I was like, you know, maybe, maybe I can use my perfectionistic tendencies to focus on my health. Um, and that was just one component of starting to recover. Um, but I think that touches on what you were asking a little bit. Yeah, well, that's a big point that I think a lot of people don't talk about are there major health issues that come from really just not getting the nutrition you need. Mm -hmm. For parents that might be concerned their child has an eating disorder, I know there's like obvious signs like they're not eating, but are there less obvious things that parents could be looking for? Uh, yeah, I would say a big one is irritability. Uh, especially around mealtimes um, or, you know, with any, with any subject related to body, um, I would always get really irritable with my parents. Um, so I think that's a big sign. 
uh, social isolation as well. Um, eating disorders are very secretive. And yeah, any sign of social isolation is kind of a red, red flag. Um, I would say increased exercise, like dramatic increase in, in exercise. Um, and also sometimes you can note that um, people will start wearing clothes that are too big. They're like mm -hmm. hiding their bodies and it kind of serves two purposes. It, it, you know, hides the body, but, but for multiple reasons. And one of those being that you, if, if you don't want your parents to see, or you don't want people to notice how, how thin you're getting. Um, and I think that was, by the way, something that um, uh, someone who read the book uh, told me was an um, aha moment for them, that they always thought um, that the, that we people with eating disorders were trying to get really thin so that we would have and 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 so that we would have more attention so that the attention that was paid to us would be super positive because we were thin and both elena and i speak to that that actually we we were we wanted to disappear we did not want to take up space we did not want to be noticed it was the opposite so anything like that i think isolation is a really great um way to think about it um but there are, i think other ways that people try to hide themselves and hide you know what they're doing to their bodies so i i would also look for that hmm. another one another important one is a preoccupation with healthiness um and healthy eating um, I, I got really into cooking, but I wouldn't eat the things that I was cooking. I was just, my brain was so obsessed with food because I wasn't feeding myself. Um, so yeah, that's something my mom noticed in me. Yep. That's a very common, that kind of an over focus on food, but then it doesn't make sense. Like th that's the other thing as a parent, you could kind of watch for is that like, because it also can throw the, throw people off. It's like, Oh, what I'm cooking, you know, I'm good. I'm, you know, I don't have an issue with food and it's really kind of, it can be a bit of a diversion. Yeah. Well, people do reinforce eating disorders some ways, even if they're trying to be nice. Like if they say like, wow, you lost some weight, you're looking good. And it's like the intention of that is nice, but then it's, it's not good. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I received a lot of that when I was younger. Um, I, I went through a lot of different growth spurts. So my, you know, my growth charts were all over the place. Um, and there was one summer where I had a growth spurt. So I leaned out naturally um, and people noticed. And I was maybe like 11 or 12 and um, I wasn't, I definitely wasn't focused on losing weight, but people gave me so much attention and positive feedback. You look great. You look great. So that was always in the back of my mind before I even had an eating disorder. When I was um, in sixth grade, I got pneumonia and I was in the hospital for a week. And I was just, when I got out, I had lost a bunch of weight and I was a small, small before I went in, I was normal weight, but I lost weight, like dramatic amount of weight. And I remember the, um, I tell a story in the book about the the music teacher at my school, putting her arms on my shoulders and she's like, oh, your shoulders are so bony. Look how much weight you've lost. Maybe I need to get, get sick too, so that I can lose weight. And so I think that we just collectively, and I think, again, this is diet culture, have this weird obsession thinking that it's actually worth being sick to be thin. It's just a, it, I think that's for people that don't, to your point, Bobby, that it's, it's people that don't even have eating disorders will kind of say things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
it's kind of a sick mindset. And um, it, it seems like shame ties into this a lot. And it's something you have to deal with inside of you, because if you don't deal with shame, it can sort of turn inward or come out in unhealthy ways. And I know you talk about that a little in the book. Yeah, that's one of um, our chapters, one of the 12 underlying issues of an eating disorder. And I always externalized my shame through anger. And I learned that at a very young age. Um, not, you know, my parents didn't teach me that way or anything. Um, I just, when I would be embarrassed as a little kid, I had this word that I would say, um, like a made up curse word, basically. And I would say, Papa, I, you know, I couldn't even speak sentences, but I would yell and run away. And, you know, when I think about how I deal with shame, how I dealt with shame when I was 16, it was very similar. I would slam doors and run and go hide in my room. Um, I would just get angry. And that was a big part of my therapy, learning how to deal with the shame and speak to it before I let the anger out. Yeah. And for me, um, so shame led to a form, almost like a self-punishment. So, um, whatever it was that I felt like I had done wrong imperfectly or, or maybe someone shamed me, maybe, you know, I was made wrong about something. Um, I believed that then that meant I deserved to punish myself and, um, and that I had to do more and more to be, you know, try to get closer to perfect. And so um, I think that the thing about shame, and there's a lot of research about this right now, Brene Brown is kind of the guru on shame, um, is that when you bring it into the light, um, it really like, you know, it, that's really the first step. It's actually the biggest thing that you can do. And, um, you know, I, I think that for, for teenagers, um, middle schoolers that are struggling, I mean, that's a time of growth in life when there's all kinds of things that you're feeling, you know, you're comparing yourself all the time and you're feeling ashamed about this or that imperfect here and there. Um, and the comparison is such a big thing um, that if they have some sort of, I know for me, when, when I now, when I feel shame, one of my tools is that I have someone that I reach out to and I'm like, okay, here it is. This is what I did, or this is how I'm feeling. And that makes all the difference. So I think that, um, you know, that connection is one of the ways that we can address that without turning inward and punishing ourselves. I always think connection is like the antidote to depression. And it's yes. you have to have those good friends in life where you can just call them up and you know they're not going to judge you and they're going to hear you out and, you know. Yes. And I think that, though, that there are times in life, and I think that this is one of them, when you're deep into this eating disorder, you may feel like you don't have friends, like you don't have anyone that you can connect to. And so one of the things I think that I, I encourage people to do is, you know, you have to be careful about online, right? But if you can find healthy, like podcasts or um, uh, connections or groups online, where you can share your vulnerability in a safe way, and there are those places out there. And that's something that I think another thing that parents can do is help find like resources, communities, ways to, for their kids to connect to other people that are, that are feeling this way. Because I do think that, you know, I know that when I, by the time I was 16 and I went into the hospital, um, 
by the time I went into the hospital, I felt like I had no friends. I did have friends, but I felt like I had no friends. And so that meant that I had no friends. I felt like I could talk to this about or talk about this too. And so that's what happened when I was in the hospital. I did. I found people. I met people. And that that was the beginning of you know, the end for me in terms of the eating disorder. So that's what I would really encourage is that there find safe ways for um, people to connect. Um, and Elena's got a great Instagram. Uh, uh, she does all kinds of great, really positive things. Um, and I think that one of the main things that she hears is that it make people feel seen and, and heard. And so again, there's safe ones and then there are unsafe ones. And so that's an important thing, to, distinction to find. Mm-hmm. It seems like it had to get really intense for both of you where you could really get the help you needed. And it's so impressive how you've been able to take this really painful part of your lives and then turn it into something that's empowering for people. So just props to both of you on that. One of the, thank you. I I was going to say that, um, to that point, I think part of the my motivation for this, for writing this book, was that uh, when I was younger, when I was in high school, actually, I couldn't imagine a future for myself. I was, I thought of myself, I was, I thought of myself as messed up. I had this eating disorder, and I had been in the hospital, and I just, you know, I didn't see a future for myself. And and one of the things that I'm hoping comes through in this is that while yes, I struggled with this for a lot of years. Um, and I still manage the thoughts that that you know kind of stirred the eating disorder a long time ago. Um, but I have a very robust and full life. I mean, I have a great career. I'm the mother of two children. I have a lot of friends. I have found so much joy in life, and I struggle sometimes, just like everyone else. But I I just want there to. I want people to know that you can go from being the sick one, which is what I was. I was the sick one. I was the messed up one. I mean, this was the eighties. We didn't talk about mental health, you know? So I was an anomaly, Um, but I've actually, you know, turned out okay. And I'm not the only one. And Elena is obviously a great um, source of inspiration for sure. Well, I think the big question is then what is the path towards recovery? Is it different for everyone or there's some steps people should start taking what would you advise families and parents to do? Yes, we always advocate for getting professional help. Um, and I know that's a difficult thing. Sometimes it's not totally accessible for people, but we both say we would not have recovered without medical help. Um, I always say, find find a team, get a team. Um, for me, that was a therapist, a psychiatrist, and a dietitian, as well as group therapy. Um, and I was able to do all of that while still attending school. I was never inpatient um, because my parents noticed the signs so early. I was able to stay home, stay in school, but I had this huge team of support. So that that's the main thing I would recommend. And I would say that um, community plays a big role in it. Um, you know, I was inpatient three times actually, and um, there are inpatient facilities and sometimes that's necessary. Um, and, but I, but I think both of us, um, and again, you know, we're talking 30 years apart, right? Um, the group therapy was a huge part of it. Um, that connection again, um, Bobby, that you mentioned earlier, I mean, just makes such a big difference. Um, so I think that, and um, really the other thing is that finding other things in life that are, that are, um, that you can't, have when you're also sick. And I think that, you know, there would be like a little crack where I would see something like 
oh, I could go to this camp this summer, but I knew I wouldn't be able to do it if I was sick. I, I wanted to go to college. I wasn't going to be able to do that if I was sick. So you, you start to find things that you want more than you know, being sick. And sometimes people just are too far into it and still need some, you know, intense um, treatment. But, but really, I think that's the beginning of the end is when you can see some reason beyond what you're doing right now. Um, yeah. Well, congratulations on the book, Full Overcoming Our Eating Disorders to Fully Live. And you're doing great work. You know, this could save some lives. And I appreciate you taking the time to be here with me today. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. This has been our pleasure. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Melissa and Elena. Wishing you the best of luck with the release. This has been the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I'm Bobby Williams. We'll see you next week. Peace.